This is your operating system talking, not your computers or your phones, but your internal human operating system. I'm feeling a little overloaded. Here's how you can ease my stress. Close your eyes or softly gaze at something in front of you. Now inhale for four counts, exhale for six. Keep repeating. <sighs> Much better. Longer term, there's BetterHelp Online Therapy. They'll match us with a licensed therapist we can connect with via video, phone, or chat. Visit BetterHelp.com slash positive and save 10% on our first month. Kick off NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Join today. Get started with $150 in free bets guaranteed. All you got to do is place your first $5 bet. Sign up with promo code 2400 to get in on the action, and then you can turn game day into payday all season long. And the best part, take that 150 in free bets. There's big games every weekend, ones you'll have big opinions on, and you can get on your way. Play your way. Bet on more than just the final score. Wager on everything from touchdowns to total yards to catches. You name it. FanDuel's got more markets than anybody. You can even combine your bets for a chance of a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. Don't fumble your chance to get $150 in free bets, win or lose, with promo code 2400. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 and up in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued non-withdrawable. Free bets that expire in 14 days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms. Sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com forward slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org forward slash Chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York, Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee, 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. Bear down, baby. Yes, sir. Bears fans, this is Take the North. It's real simple. You know, if you take a person's legs away, they can't run. With your hosts, David Hawn. I want to remind people, there is no award for coming to the conclusion fastest on a quarterback in your football city. Nobody remembers and frankly, nobody cares. And Dan Weeder. Particularly in this town, we start to get the extremes trying to outshout each other, right? Those who think that he's a bust are trying to outshout those who think that he's going to be an absolute seven-time All-Pro. We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome to the Take the North podcast. I am David Hall from 670 The Score, the Mullen Hawes Show. Dan Weeder from the Chicago Tribune is at Hallis Hall. Take the North podcast. You can get it on your free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. We are dropping this on Tuesday morning. We also drop on Friday mornings and then Sunday nights, our instant reaction to the game. And yes, we are still reacting to the Bears 35 to 32 loss to the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> Their second straight defeat, Dan, but I would call this after spending Monday in Chicago on the air and around town, the happiest two-game losing streak in NFL history. <laughs> it's really interesting, David, because I think inside the building here at Hallis Hall, there's a sense of hope, there's a sense of promise, there's a sense of excitement. It is amplified by a hundred out in the general public and the way that Chicago is reacting to this loss, as you mentioned, there is a, a feeling in the outside world that they found their forever quarterback. Right. And so that's where this uh, conversation starts, right. For everything that relates to the 2022 Chicago bears, it's going to start with where Justin Fields is at in his developmental curve. He's obviously making obvious signs of growth here uh, in recent weeks. And, and Sunday, I think you would agree qualifies even in a loss as a signature performance from Justin Fields, certainly the 61, yard touchdown run but to, th to, to contribute four 
touchdowns to that game and then an NFL record 178 rushing yards by a quarterback big moments right and now you just have to figure out how to how to channel them in the right direction it was a milestone moment I I said this morning on the radio and I believe this it might sound like exaggeration but this potentially could be one of those were you there when this happened Justin Fields breaks the single game rushing record by a quarterback and I think everything from here has to continue to point up. And if it does, his career could take off from here. So he has started, I think it's 19 NFL games. And and you look at where he is at this stage of his career and the growth and how the Bears have helped him improve incrementally, but also because they have tailored the scheme around the skill set, the last three games specifically. So now I do think we're going to spend a lot of time on this podcast talking about digging into QB1. What else happened today at Hallis Hall in the aftermath of that loss, Dan, that is worth getting into or at least mentioning before we dig into the Justin Fields? Nothing. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding, but it really it really feels like that's where we're at right now. You know, we had a chance to talk to Cole Komet and Travis Gibson in addition to Matt Eberflus's regular Monday day after game news conference. And it really, the, the talk centers around Justin Fields at this point. I think uh, for our purposes, when you look at the defense uh, the past two weeks, giving up 10 touchdowns right and so that's it's a red flag for me it's not something that that causes me a grave amount of concern or panic but uh, again as i've said really uh, over the last 24 hours the bears hired a defensive-minded football coach to lead their team right so you can't just forgive every single lapse in defensive performance just because the quarterback's playing well and his growth is pointed in the right direction you still have to show some level of competence you you understand you're grading on a curve now without robert quinn and roquan smith on this defense but i don't think it's as simple as just saying they get a a forgiveness pass for every error and every miscue they make. And to give up 10 touchdowns over a two week span is, is something that, especially for a coach who holds uh, himself to high standards, holds his players to high standards and wants to, to, to raise the bar. We have to keep that bar raised to a reasonable extent, right? We understand that Jack Sanborn is not Roquan Smith, but still it's not as if, Oh, you just shrug off 35 points after giving up 49 the previous week and say all is well, right? Right. Exactly. And I think there are plenty of questions we want to get to in terms of the focus being on Justin Fields, but I want to ask you a couple more in our opening drive. It's time for the opening, the opening drive. Okay, so before we dig into the quarterback, wanted to know what you thought 24 hours later, what the tone was regarding the missed call, and I think that Ryan Dixon was the field judge, yeah. and it was obvious that Chase Claypool drew the pass interference penalty to everybody but him. And that's not a homer talking. I don't think that we are going to be ever accused of being those guys. But I do wonder, you know, how fine of a line is it for the Bears to acknowledge what was egregious in the miss without risking being fined and kind of respecting uh, where you can't criticize officials in the NFL. Yeah, look, I, I think that there's a, a two-pronged part to this discussion. And the first thing is that, you know, in the Soldier Field press box, that play's coming right toward us, right? That's on our side of the field, on our side of the field, right? Both on the sideline and the and the side of the 50 that you're on. And from up above, it was blatant. It was obvious that Keon Crossan had pulled Chase Claypool by the waist from behind well before the ball arrived. And so you say, that's a miss. That's a, It's a really bad miss. Then you watch it on video from every angle that's there. And you see that Ryan Dixon, the field judge is staring at that play. And I can't fathom in my head how he doesn't see that. 
And if he doesn't see it, or if he does see it, how he doesn't throw a flag on that play. Obviously, we mentioned yesterday on the postgame podcast that Eddie Jackson was called for a pass interference penalty that was much less of, a, of an interference infraction than that one was. And so there's a level of consistency missing there, David, that's 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 hard to believe. Matt Eberflus said again today, you know, look, it looked like pass interference. Everyone in the stadium, I think were his words, saw that it was pass interference. So naturally, the Bears are turning that play in, among others, to the league for feedback. I imagine the feedback they're going to get is, sorry, we screwed that one up, and we're going to have to figure out how to rectify it. This goes back again, David, though. Remember, we had an experimental rule not long ago where pass interference calls were subject to replay review, right? And there was a reason for that, so that games wouldn't be decided because officials missed blatant infractions. Right, it, it it impacted an NFC Championship game and, and ultimately, by extension, a Super Bowl. You see, yesterday, it certainly prevented the Bears from uh, either tying the game with a field goal or, or getting a go-ahead score there. And so, you just say, well, do we need to go back and revisit that rule a little bit because it's the stakes are too big to just shrug off? Of, oh well, it's human error, and and a guy can get pulled down in the key moments, and we'll just say he missed it. I'd like to see a happy medium. I'd like to see a compromise where. If a coach has so many challenges throughout the course of a game, you pick the plays that you think are worthy of a challenge. So if you still have one left and it's it's a pass interference judgment call because the disparity and the difference between the Eddie Jackson play and that one was just was so, so different and so wide. And I mean, that, that's why it stood out, I think. So why not? throw your red flag if you're able to and you have one left even though it's not under the category of reviewable plays why not make every play a reviewable play we should get Sean Payton on the, on the podcast to talk about this very subject, right? And see right. Uh, if, if Sean's willing to do this. Look, I, I mean, I, I, right. Like if, if you're able to limit it to a certain number of plays, so you're not just running 25 replay reviews every game and, and slowing uh, already slow game down, then I don't see an issue with it, particularly again, when it, when it's so blatant, right. And, and, and the rules for overturning a call are, is it clear and obvious? Well, this one was clear and obvious, right. To anyone who saw it. And so I uh, look, it's, it's just a, a frustrating moment. I know there are Bears fans that say it's the best possible thing that could have happened, right? Because the Bears, <laughs> the Bears lost, and now they get a better draft selection to play around with next spring. And so, forget. Yeah, right. Yeah, you're forgetting the whole objective of uh, of the season for a lot of a lot of people in the audience. And so, so yeah, there are people that are going to say there was actually a silver lining, uh, and and that the field judge was actually a Bears fan helping them out. Okay, I want to get your quick opinion on this too. This other thing. So I'm looking at two games here. And special teams breakdowns contributed certainly to the loss against the Giants. We don't need to revisit the Velas Jones <laughs> muffed punt. Yesterday, Khalil Herbert tries to cut block Jalen Phillips, and he doesn't work, and he whiffs, blocks the punt. They return it for a touchdown. Frankly, the Bears offense outscored the Dolphin offense, and the special teams touchdown was, in fact, the difference. You could make that argument. When you look at the metrics, Dan, and you, you can measure the Bears special teams are very, very good, and the kicking game is an asset. I'm pointing to two losses where you could point to one isolated play in each of those losses, which was a special teams breakdown. Do the Bears have a good special teams unit or one that's costing them victories? Well, look, I think they're developing. I think we knew that when this team was assembled, uh, certainly in the, the the spring and summer, and then when we saw the roster come together uh, late summer, or, uh, as training camp came to a close and they put together their 53, you understood the youth on this roster. And the youth on this roster requires you to play a lot of guys who are inexperienced and are going to have to learn on the fly and learn uh, with the baptism by fire approach, right? But there are some some errors here that are just, they, they don't make sense. And then Khalil 
Herbert's missed block on Jalen Phillips was just it was just a whiff. It was just a straight whiff. There's nothing to do with coaching there. There's nothing to do with anything but just a, a lapse in the moment of a, a player who, who's a, a pretty good player for you in a lot of areas, just whiffing on a block that then gets Trent Gill his first block punt in the NFL, and then the, 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 the Dolphins return it for a touchdown, which was pretty pivotal because it gave them some cushion to play with for a good chunk of the, the rest of the afternoon at that point. Uh, look, I think there's some 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 younger players here that are are stepping forward, right? You got a guy like Josh Blackwell who comes in and has been really, really nice addition to that. We know who DHC, DeAndre Houston Carson, has been on special teams through like five, six coaching changes now. It's not that many, but he's been around forever and he's been that, that staple. And so you're just looking to find those guys that can be reliable in those moments. That was just a, a, a an inexcusable breakdown. And I'll be interested to hear Richard Hightower later in the week give us his diagnosis on, on what happened there and, and if there's anything coachable to that or if it's just a straight up whiff that you just you, you say move on it won't happen again and last thing i want to get your opinion on so was the equanimous st brown fourth quarter drop as bad in retrospect as it looked the second time around and what was the is it just one of those things that you're going to have happen on a team <laughs> that has limited the depth at the receiving core because that was one of those plays that tends to get overlooked with the, everything else that had happened and the bad call and the breakout game and all those things but you know what he he had a bad drop at a key time well this is one that from our press box angle and live action it didn't look bad in the moment right you saw the pass come across and you're like ah, man, I, I agree at, at the time it wasn't that bad it, it looked seem. it almost looked contested right yeah, and it was just like yeah. oh it got broken up and then you go back and you see the replay and you go whoa i mean that ball is it's a dime i mean justin fields throws a fastball on the mark on the move for a play that should have moved the chains on, on fourth and ten and you have to be able to count on your receivers to catch the football there i mean that's a that's a a play that high school coaches would be angry at the receivers for not catching and so economy st brown is a guy that just hasn't had a lot of success in the league as a receiver. Is he good as a run blocker? Yes. Is he a good teammate? Yes. But you know, you're being paid to some extent to catch the football, particularly in big moments and help your quarterback. And he didn't do it there. And so, man, you, you just hope that over time, the bears figure out how to assemble a receiving core that, makes the layups, right? Just makes the layups, make the easy ones, right? And that may not have been a layup. That may have been a 12 foot jumper, but it's still a shot that he had to make in that moment. And uh, yeah, it's, it was worse uh, both on Sunday night and Monday morning, rewatching it and saying that's, that's, that's no good. Agreed. If you're feeling down and having trouble getting up in the morning, here's a tip. Brush your teeth. That's it. Often when we wake up, our brains go into planning mode, which leads to overthinking and stress before our head even leaves the pillow. Something simple like brushing your teeth can break that cycle and jumpstart your day. This tip was brought to you by BetterHelp Online Therapy, which connects you with a licensed therapist via video, phone, or online chat. Visit BetterHelp.com positive and save 10% on your first month. Let's jump into QB1. So much to get to, Justin Fields. This was the game that I think one day we'll look back and could, you know, if everything goes well and everybody stays healthy and things to continue to progress, this will be the game you point to that stands out this season as the moment that his attention 
was taken seriously, not only in Chicago, where I think people have been waiting for this to happen, but around the league, where I think it's beginning to get noticed. So where do you want to start in terms of the, de- the defining moment? Because there were several you could argue, I think I know which way you're headed. Yeah, I mean, the obvious one here is pretty pr- pretty obvious, right? The 61-yard touchdown run is the moment that Soldier Field was electrified, right? And it was the moment where you say, man, that's, that's a play that there's very few guys in this league that can make. I thought it was interesting to hear some of the comments coming out of the Dolphins locker room, right? As, as much excitement as there was inside Soldier Field, as much excitement as there is amongst Bears players, as much excitement as there is with the Bears coaching staff, to hear an opponent offer the level of respect that Dolphins players and coaches offered after that game about what Justin Fields did on that football field is notable to me because it caught their attention, right? And it's going to catch more people's attention as we go forward because they had things deployed, right? They had a game plan to try to stop him. They had spies in certain instances and they couldn't they couldn't tackle him when they needed to get a stop on third down and he got out on a tuck and run and converted it. In that instance, as Fields told us after the game, he's looking for Darnell Mooney, right? And he doesn't see him and then he sees him. And then just as he's about to throw, Mooney kind of turns. And so he's got to make a split second decision. And not only does Justin Fields make a split second decision to run, but he hits the gas pedal. Right, and he gets up to twenty point three miles per hour, according to next gen stats, in the matter of a, a second. Right, and and he's down the field. And when you watch that and rewatch it and watch it a third time, you see five Dolphins defenders helplessly swinging at him like they're wily coyote chasing the Roadrunner, David. I mean, it, it, it's it was almost embarrassing watching how flummoxed those guys were. And, and it's just it's 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 a it's special gifts, right? That you can knock on Justin Fields for his shortcomings all you want. And in in some instances, you'll be justified. But when you have special gifts like that, you can change games. And he obviously did that on Sunday afternoon. Well, you can't coach it. He's scheme proof in those situations for defenses because what do you do? You had the pocket collapsed. You had coverage in in place. And yet you gave up a 61-yard play. So it's one of those things that defensive coordinators just can't account for. And there's only a handful of players that can make defenses look that silly at certain times. That's a good one. I'll go uh, because of the variety of skills it required. I'll go with the Cole Komet 18 yard touchdown. The one that was the bootleg action. Because I think a a couple of things stood out to me about, you know, the defining moment. I think we're all trying to figure out exactly what this means and, and where this is headed. On that play, the ball handling in the backfield was outstanding. Yes. And I think that showed to me an attention to detail, coaching evidence that I think is important because we're going to give Luke Getze a lot of credit, Andrew Janoco a lot of credit, and Flusi as well. But Justin Fields had a fumbling problem in the first half of the season. And on that play, he was handling the ball like a skilled point guard with the, with on the dribble. And I think what you saw was, you know, the act, it, it was deceptive. And I think that's good. So then he was moving the pocket. He's better on the run. And then he put the ball exactly where he needed to put it, which was what you like to see. And then who he was throwing to was also significant because – as I think you'd agree, getting Cole Komet involved was is one of the sneaky good things that Luke Getze has done the last three weeks that's coincided with Justin Fields' uh, ascension. And I think that play included all the things you want to see from a mobile quarterback, a young quarterback, and the development of that rapport between him and the tight end. 
Yeah, well, you know me. I'm not sold on Cole Komet. I need uh, more, <laughs> more evidence to, to kind of to point his arrow in the right direction. But look, what I love, David, about that particular play is like the X's and O's don't have to be complex, right? You just have to execute them, right? And you just have to do some little things really well. And there's a handful of little things on that play that were done really well, starting with Justin's play fake, right? And selling the run. And the Bears have been so effective running the football that now you've got defenses thinking this is 100% a, a you know power run to clear Herbert here. And so we're going to converge on that. The next thing you know, that football is coming off of Justin's hip. He's got Komet wide open and it's an easy pitch and catch. And then Komet's just got to turn up field and see Equinemius St. Brown there to, to set a lead block for him. And he's in the end zone. And there were so many moments, I, I feel like on Sunday, where it was just little things done well that created big results. And that's certainly a, an example of one. Uh, I think it had been 28 games since Cole Komet had scored a touchdown when he went to Dallas and got his first of the season. Now he's got three in two weeks. So that's a, a a big moment there that uh, that is a, a evidence of the connection that continues to grow between Fields and Cole. The next category, more praise on the way on the bright side. So I'll give you Justin's other uh, his, his his second touchdown pass of the first half, which is the corner route to Darnell Mooney. And the thing I loved about that play, David, was everything that happened pre-snap told the Bears that they had the touchdown. Right, Darnell Mooney understood that he had leverage against Xavier Howard and just had to make sure that he ran a crisp corner route and sold it to the inside. Right. And then, and then made his breakout. Justin understood that, that they're in a single high look and he's got a, a spy kind of looking for him. And so he's got that, those two elements to account for. And he knows that Dante Pettis can come from outside of Mooney and run a little bit of a screen on Mooney's defender, and then also occupy the safety. And so as soon as you trust all those things, you trust the route, you trust the pocket, you trust your own playmaking ability to make a throw, it's all there. So it's a trust play. And Mooney runs a great route and Fields makes a great throw and it connects. And for the first time this year, those two guys have their own end zone celebration in the north end zone at Soldier Field. And it's a big moment, right? As, as they continue to grow and get that chemistry going. It's a big moment because of how it happened and who it happened against. That was a Pro Bowl cornerback. That was a big-time throw, and that was a terrific route. And those three things are what you need to see. This wasn't some guy they signed on Tuesday who was in the lineup on Sunday, and this was a sloppy route, and they got lucky. This was precise, and this was everything you want between your number one receiver and your QB one quarterback. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. And so it's impressive to see those guys continue to hit it. I thought that, you know, the, the, the general vibe in the locker room on Sunday afternoon is that there is buy-in right to the growth of this offense and the buy-in comes because the results have come. Right. right. And, and that's an example where it's like, okay, you know, now we're humming now let's keep it rolling. So let me tell you mine. And it was kind of speaks to the excitement of the day, maybe even in a loss, but mine came and it wasn't even a completion. It wasn't even uh, maybe an official play. It was a penalty and it came on the fifth play of the game and it's third and two and Chase Claypool is in the game and you wonder, Hmm, number one, you think, third and two first third down he's in the game that's interesting i wonder how many snaps he's going to have today it would be 25 right or 26 i think it's 26 yeah so he plays 26 snaps on the first third and two what does justin fields do he gives him a chance to make a play chase claypool 50 50 ball and it's supposed to be 70 30 when he's going (laughs) up to get it right because he just increases your percentage i like that I like that uh, aggressiveness. I like that reality. I like that he's here and you're using him 
uh, immediately. There's no ramp up period. There's no, oh, we need to get him ready. He needs to understand uh, he's not at 200 level or 300. He's on the field. Your first third down, they give him a chance to make the play. He doesn't come down with the catch, but he gets a 28-yard pass interference penalty. And he should have had two pass interference penalties on the day, as we pointed out in the opening segment. Chase Claypool is going to make an impact on this offense. And Justin Fields showed me in that fifth play, maybe this is overstating it, that he trusts him to make a play, and that's a big step. There should have been 65 total yards of PI penalties drawn by by Chase Claypool, right? And that's a big, big day, and those are hidden yards that the passing offense could sorely need, use, right, Like as, as they continue uh, building going forward. So, I, I mean, look, like the, they're going to try to get Chase Claypool more involved and more involved and more involved, and they're going to see how much he can handle and get him involved in this passing attack. And all of a sudden, that just makes everything else you do a little bit more potent because now you've got guys in multiple spots with Komet and Mooney and and, and uh, Claypool and, and the other guys running around out there that are going to be able to give you some more pop in the passing game. Let's see where they go going forward. Okay, so there were some uh-oh moments. What was yours? Yeah, for me, I, I, I'm just going to flush out a little bit of what we talked about on Sunday evening with the idea that the Bears had the football twice in the fourth quarter at home with a chance to go put together a drive to tie the game or, or, or win the game, and they failed twice. And not only did they fail twice, David, they called 12 passing plays on those two possessions, and they only completed two passes for three yards, right? There's four tuck-and-run scrambles in there. There's four incompletions in there. And there, uh, what, what's the other two plays that I'm missing there? There's... Oh, the two sacks, right? There's, there's two sacks. There's four completions, four tuck-and-run scrambles, and, and two sacks in that. One of those is a tuck-and-run sack that Justin took. And so it's, it's evidence for you that the passing attack is not flowing. Right, right. It's not in a complete rhythm, right? And so, like, look, I'm not raising a, a stink about it after a performance like Sunday's. You get 30-plus points. You get a quarterback having a record-setting day. You go home and you celebrate all of the positive firework shows that you watched. But at the same time, you look at the, the passing stats, right, for the league, and the Bears are dead last in the league in passing offense, and they're 70 yards almost out of the top 25, right? Like, they would have to average 70 yards more per game just to crack the top 25 in passing offense and so it tells you there's more room to grow there. The other part of this is finishing games, right? Like moral victories are great, but eventually actual victories are going to define who you are. And, and, and you know how quarterback play is defined in this league. You have success by being good on third down. You have success by being good in the red zone. And the legends make their names by, by going and leading game-winning drives late in games. And so you had an opportunity, just like you had against uh, Washington in your previous home game. And so two consecutive home games, you've missed chances to win games with drives late, and it's not to be overlooked. I will tell you that inside the locker room, there was that feeling. Darnell Mooney, uh, Khalil Herbert, after the game, said, man, it's really frustrating to understand we had that chance and we couldn't capitalize. And then Cole Komet, I thought, had the final word here on Monday afternoon at Hallis Hall when he was asked about those final two drives and here's what he had to say about that sequence. Well, I think that's the next next step, right? You know, I think, um, you know, we're putting up points and it, the past three weeks we've been able to do that. But I think if we want to, you know, we want to be a championship team, like that's the stuff, that's what the NFL is, you know, two-minute situations, end of half, end of the game, uh, executing in those situations. Um, so that's the next step for us, for sure. You know, being able to win those games, those shootout games. And, uh, yeah, I think that's the next step for the offense. You guys have been pretty good at the end of the half. The start of the third quarter late. Yeah. I think it's a little different, you know. Um, I think when you're in those situations, you can still kind of stick to really just running your offense and knowing they're going to be in their base stuff. Um, 
and obviously I think Luke's had great halftime adjustments all year so you know the coaches get a quick look at what they've been doing and you get a plan coming out knowing the first you know 10 plays or so of coming coming out in the second half and you're able to kind of scheme that stuff up so it's a little different uh, between that and at the end of the game when you got two minute situation and you know it's known passing or you know they know that they can allow some yards and, and things of that nature so um, but like I said I think that's the next step for us and winning those games for sure Next step, right? Like that, that, that's clear, self-aware uh, commentary by, by Komet and, and others in this offense saying that's the next step. We got to go. We got to go capitalize on those moments. Yes, we're growing. We got to take the next step. And that's a that's a huge step, right? I think that's a huge step for an offense and a team is learning how to win close games late with your offense. Yeah. Instead of the, it's so weird and contrary to the way the Chicago Bears uh, fans and the fan base, the media, everybody views the Bears. Defense is going to bail people out. Defense is going to win football games. Entirely different approach to to watching football and your expectation level. And you know why the Kansas City Chiefs won that Sunday night game? Because they've won that game 15 times, right, over the last five years with Patrick Mahomes as their quarterback. And even on a night where they were sloppy, you know, you're you're in a one-score game late, and you're like, oh, Patrick's going to go lead us on a touchdown drive. Then he's going to get us a two-point conversion. Then we're going to get the ball in overtime, and we're going to have a scoring drive. And there was never a doubt in that Chiefs uh, huddle or on the sideline that they were going to win the football game. And they won the football game because they've built up that confidence and that experience in those moments to go ahead and seize them. And so that, again, next step for the Bears. The only uh – moment I saw was the the negated interception that was probably <laughs> again the Bears may have gotten a break there of offsetting penalties Howard made a nice play and break on the ball that was underthrown. Uh, did he hold they said he did um, to make that play but that's one of those things that in you know in the NBA game you could call traveling every possession and in the NFL game you could call holding every every snap so I wondered if um, the Bears got a break there because it was a turnover that didn't happen and it was a throw I think he probably would want back when watching it again. And it was one of those things. And one of the few times all day, you were like, "Uh oh, he should not have thrown that one. So that definitely fit the the category. Yeah, bad decision. There's no yeah. question. It was a bad decision, and it was kind of a, a bad throw, too. It just didn't have any any juice on it, and, and Howard was able to undercut it and pick it off. And that's in Bears territory, right? And that's a game-changing mistake if you don't get the offsetting penalty. So, uh, yeah, good of you to, to bring that up. What uh, what was your big number? Uh, you, you can't go anywhere else but 178. I mean, you just can't go anywhere else but that. I was crunching all the box score numbers. Well, what could what, how could I get creative and come up with a big number for for this QB one segment? It's 178. When you when you set a record, an NFL record, right, and you run for 178 yards in a game. Michael Vick, by the way, his 173 yard performance 20 years ago included overtime and it included a 46 yard run to beat the Vikings to get his total up to 173. So just Justin's performance through that lens is even better than we originally thought. And it's just, it, it's just a remarkable performance that everyone who saw it, fans, media, teammates, coaches, opponents, everyone agreed it was electric. And so you can't go anywhere but there for me. My, um, my big numbers, just to compliment and to balance out the, uh, the praise for the <laughs> running prowess is 106.7. Two straight games, over 100 passer rating. This is probably something more people who are pushing back a little bit. I know, Dan, you've gotten some pushback at the notion (laughs) that the Bears offense, passing offense specifically, might not be as sophisticated as it needs to be or as polished as it will be. But 106.7, if you're a 
quarterback who's known as a runner, you're going to cling to that number as a passer and say, look, look, I'm efficient. I can be explosive and I can avoid the interception because I tell you what, that number would not have been over a hundred throws <laughs> that pick. That's why that pick was so important because passer rating, it, it takes away the interceptions. It, it rewards efficiency and protecting the football. Look, and we talked about this on Sunday afternoon. Justin has not topped 200 yards passing in eight of his nine starts this year. I think it's 14 and 19 in his, in his career. You, you got to start, hitting that number a little bit more, right? It's it to have the production, not just passer rating, but actual passing yards. My big number could have been, David, 1,203. That, as of uh, 421 on November 7th, is the number of comments I got on that post-game tweet that I sent <laughs> on the way down the locker. So, so that's an all-timer for me. I set a record, too. So, And you know what? That's a great number. It's in the 1,200s. <laughs> that, as a number, is barely higher than the number of yards Justin Fields is on pace to gain on the ground this year. Okay. I think 1160 or so. That's pretty amazing. Can you imagine, can you imagine having a Bears quarterback with more than a thousand yards rushing in his second season? That would be something he's on track to do, but something that would be amazing. Yeah, it's it, honestly, it's something we need to start tracking, right? Just as I'm uh, tracking the Bears' pursuit of a 3,000-yard rushing season as a team, right? Those are some some cool milestones for us to track uh, down the final two months of a, of a year that obviously doesn't have a whole lot else attached in terms of significance. And so, yeah, write them down. We'll revisit them and, and keep track of the pace that these guys are on. Okay, let's flip the score. Okay. David, I, th- I think the, the city of Chicago already flipped the score, didn't they? Like, <laughs> it happened like before the game ended. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> really? The Bears lost? How'd that happen? Yeah, I think that to, to flip the score, we got to pretend that, that, that they actually lost, which they did, right? So, look, I, I, I think there's a lot to get into here. You mentioned special teams gas. We mentioned earlier the uh, defensive production or lack thereof, the inability to get takeaways or sacks in a game, right? Like that can't happen with the hits principle. That's not what you were uh, slated to do. And so I think that there has to be a continued focus on making sure that, 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 that the, the standards aren't relaxed just because the quarterback is playing really well. And there's some really fun highlights for the, you know, the TV shows to play on a loop. Uh, the bears have to make sure, particularly from a coaching staff perspective, that they, they continue to hold high standards and not let, let these things get relaxed too much to where it gets really sloppy. The Bears have been outscored 84 to 61 the last two weeks, 84 points in two weeks. And and I just don't think anybody cares. So, (laughs) yeah, the 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 evolution of the fan base is is significant. And I think it's really indicative of just how how we view sports these days. And we've talked about it before. We continue to look at it. But this whole idea of the benefits of losing, you know, the uh, the acceptance of some of the realities of, of the draft um, order and how much we value the draft as a as a sports populace and how important that is. I mean, think about your most important sporting events you watch in television every every calendar year. The NFL draft is near the top. It is. Uh, for football fans, second to the Super Bowl in terms of interest, in terms of magnitude. So I think it, all those things contributed to the idea that this is, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, the happiest two-game losing streak I've ever experienced. And it changes the way that we view this season. I am not necessarily comfortable with it. I accept it. I know everything uh, behind it. But like we interviewed Tom Thayer on the Mullen Haw show on Monday morning at eight o'clock. And he was still, you know, the day after 
reacting to the loss. This is an 85 bear yeah, as, yeah. as proud of a former player as you're ever going to find a guy who is plugged in this team as well as anybody who covers it. And he was still disappointed. He was not putting a happy face on this and I got it. I understood it. There was disappointment in his voice and I respected it because there's still, even though we can flip the score and even though there are benefits that I think positives outweigh the negatives, it's still their sixth loss of the season. Well, and, and like, so I, I tie that back to the, the Comet audio clip that we heard a few minutes ago, which I think is important because it's just about setting championship uh, expectations properly, right? And not just thinking that you're promised certain things and understanding that to win in this league at a high level, it takes razor sharp execution and very big moments against quality opponents. And you've got to learn how to give that. It's, it's you know, there, there's this thought process out there that the Bears defense is bad by design, right? And so, the, so that they they get a free pass. You know, they're going to be terrible. They traded all, you know, they traded Khalil Mack. They got rid of Robert Quinn. They got rid of Roquan Smith. Everybody that was notable other than Eddie Jackson and Jalen Johnson is gone. And, and so it's okay if they, they just aren't as productive. My problem with that is you're just assuming that eventually when you have draft picks in salary cap room, that you're just going to replenish that defense to be a top five defense. Well, it's really hard, right? So you've got a lot of holes to fill and it's no promise that just because you have resources means you're going to use them wisely and get a bunch of star players there. And so I think people have to understand that, like, you know, you, you still have to make good on the last four fifths of the journey, which is going out and getting players that can be long term difference making starters for you. You don't want the quest for the next great Bears defense to take as long as it took to find a, a potentially great Bears quarterback. <laughs> you don't want that to be the next missing link in that boy, if we only had a defense. So we just have never been there before. I, I want to get to something. Um, in the uh, in the next segment, though, Dan. So let's so let's move on to look at what's ahead. Uh, so this week, the preparations begin for the Detroit Lions. Of kind of looking back, looking ahead. I want to talk to you about Luke Getzey for a second because I think it's related in an extension of our talk about Justin Fields. Obviously, Studs did the math. Adam Studzinski, our producer, Justin Fields is on pace for 1,135 rushing yards now. Lamar Jackson, I think, set the single-season record for quarterbacks rushing yards in 2019, 1,206. Those are very similar numbers. This is a very similar style, similarly styled offense. And And I have resisted kind of, or I have gotten some pushback myself from people who say, careful when you compare him to Lamar Jackson, he's an MVP. But Dan... Luke Getze is leaning into that. Luke Getze is uh, is taking advantage of this this rare skill set. I don't know if I if I, uh, I I certainly don't mind that. I think it's the smartest thing to do. But I guess I'm asking you, is that to take advantage of Justin Fields' skills, or is it a reaction to not having the offensive line to protect Justin Fields in the pocket? Or is it just a combination of both? And this is just the most common sense approach to try to move the chains. Yeah, I think it's fluid because I think it's related to how good Justin is on the move. I think it's related to how uh, shaky their pass protection has been. Look, Sunday afternoon was their sixth starting offensive line combination in nine games. That's hard to believe, right? At this stage of the season that you're on your sixth combination already. And it's a, it's also factors in the fact that the receiving core isn't what, 
people want it to be one day. And so you've just got to kind of adjust and, and adapt and, and be fluid on the fly. And they also have big picture vision of what you want this quarterback to become. I think Luke's done a really good job. And particularly since the mini buy of using uh, his assets and using their strengths, right? And it's not just Justin, it's Mooney, it's Komet, it's Herbert, uh, it's other guys that, that, that have had opportunities out there. And, and, and so there's, there's promising collaboration going on to, to move the pocket for Justin to create vision lines and sight lines for him to throw the ball, to do different things that make him comfortable and confident. And now you've just got to continue growing it, right? You've got to understand who you are and what you want to be and marry those two things together because there has to be a big picture vision. It can't just be, you know, micro focused on November, 2022. You have to have a destination in the GPS. And to this point, I think Luke Getzi's done a really good job of marrying those two things together. When you're looking at a pie chart, if you were to divide this three-game streak since the mini-buy, kind of the, the revamping of the reconfiguration of the Bears' offense, how much of this is attributed, the success, this run, attributed to Justin Fields' skill set and improvement and Luke Getze's scheme and approach? So it's a two-piece pie chart? Well, yeah, I wanna, I'm dividing it. I'm, I'm wondering, is it 50-50? Is it 60-40, 70-30? I, I think that, yeah, obviously, you can't do this if you don't have a quarterback that's capable of taking advantage of this and making you look smart, I think I would go 70, 30, maybe 65, 35, Justin Fields to Getze. Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to say like 60, 40. That's where, that's where my brain went when you initially asked it. Uh, and they got to keep, keep using it. Look like one of the plays on my rewatch on Monday morning, that was so impressive to me. It was just so basic. It's just a zone read uh, run, right? I, it's just a designed run. It's a zone read. Justin's got the option to be either uh, keeping it or giving it. And he just reads a defensive end and he keeps it and he sees room to his left and he just rolls out for 17 yards. I mean, it, it was so fast how quickly he chewed up 17 yards. And then here came a, uh, a defensive back and he stepped out of bounds right before he got hit. And you're like, man, if you're able to get 17 yards with that and get out of bounds without taking a hit, I mean, that is a gift to your offense, right? It, it run that all day long, as long as it's not defended well. Right. And, and, and so those types of things are great to see mixed in because they create first downs, which create momentum. We were talking in the months of September about the bears being unable able to, you know, one, move the chains, period. Two, they were unable to complete multiple passes on drives, right? It was, it was they were averaging less than a, a completion per possession for the month of September. And then all of a sudden we get this, this uptick here in the last three games where they seemingly can do just about whatever they want in a variety of ways. And, and so that's a credit to the way Justin has bought into this, right? And, it, and it's found his comfort zone. And we, we talked about it being those three C's, right? The steps are, are, are comfortable, confident command, right? And he's climbing that staircase right now. And I think it's a credit to Getsy. That's where I think the coaching comes in. More is less. You know, they haven't given him so much to learn, so many reads to make. And I think they have, you know, probably simplified things to the extent to where he is doing more reacting and less thinking. And that's not an insult or anything. It's just at this stage of his development, it's probably just playing to his strengths in a way that 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 favors and brings out brings out that skill set and athleticism. The other thing is, I think that you know when you look at um, his ability to just make the throws that he wasn't making earlier in the season, the short throws he's making those. If, if it sounds silly, even though they're just short passes, but they're crisp in stride and they're just gimmies, and he's making the layup. 
that he was missing before. More of them, but there are still some. There were still some instances on yeah, Sunday more, where, where, more, where, some, yeah. where some of these, you know, catch the snap and throw it like Justin's airmailing guys. And you're just like, why? Like, what is happening? What that, was, not, that, was, that was the Claypool, right? And yeah, and I, I wondered at the time, what is Claypool thinking? That ball just sailed five <laughs> feet over his head. It was like five feet over his head, right? And it was a simple just catch and throw. And, and that's not the first instance of that. So that's one that I like. I want to dig down a little bit more with the coaching staff and figure out, you know, is this a base issue with Justin and, and you know, what is that? But there are, there haven't been as many of those, right? And there, there have been more completed passes that have kept drives alive to your point and it have given you confidence that this is actually a 2022 uh, offense. And also I wonder this, it, it, this is, this is kind of counterintuitive, but it's like once he started running the ball more designed runs and once he started feeling more comfortable breaking, tucking the running, uh, you know, maybe a little bit premature or early, but it, it's somewhat easier to control the collision or the contact when you're running and initiating the contact or being deciding whether you're going to run out of bounds, lower a shoulder or slide than it is if you're sitting back in the pocket, not sure where the rush is coming from, not real comfortable in the pocket because you're not experienced. And then you might have somebody collapsing from the side, coming from the back, your knee buckles, you hit here, you land awkwardly there. All of a sudden you've got a sore hip and you're out of the game. I don't know that that's true, but Dan, I think that just it, when you are initiating the action, it's much easier to control how much contact and how physical that becomes rather than when you're sitting duck in a pocket behind an offensive line that can't protect you. Yeah, no question. I mean, look, like when you're in charge, you you start that play understanding the situation. You say, hey, it's third down. I'm going to I'm going to take a hit here because I'm trying to get a first down or it's it's first down and I'm going to do a designed run here and I'm going to make sure that I fully protect myself at the end of this thing. If it's three yards, if it's 13 yards, I'm going to make sure that I, I, I get myself down and out of harm's way as quickly as possible. There's a question here that I'd like to ask you because this came up on the radio on Monday afternoon. And it's the, the idea of if this growth continues and the arc and the arrow are, are, are a steep upward trajectory and we get to January and Justin Fields has taken all the growth that he's made these last three weeks and then multiplied it through November, December, and the first two games of January. Are the Bears in danger of losing Luke Getze to head coaching interviews, David? <laughs> I, I, I mean, like two months ago, I would have laughed like that. But but the real question is, I mean, do, do you think that's completely laughable uh, if he continues on this upward trend? I do right now. I think it's kind of absurd to think that somebody uh, – okay, I shouldn't – I don't want to use the word absurd. I think it's premature to think that Luke Getze would go somewhere – and be able to be trusted to be a head coach based on a half season, or should I really say three games of offensive success because he has unlocked the Justin Fields, you know, uh, conundrum. I, I, I don't know. Hey, Jeff Saturday just got hired in Indianapolis today. Well, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> that's why I didn't use the word absurd because that's absurd. That's absurd. And and that's to me borderline offensive to every head every assistant coach who has toiled. I, I this isn't the NBA. It's not Major League Baseball. Okay, that's a different podcast for a different time. But come on, what are you doing? The guy's never coached before. High school. I, it, come on, really? And he's not even in your building, right? Like he's not even in your building. And so it's 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 November seventh, and you're asking him to go address a locker room that just fired th their head coach, and you say, "Hey, this is Jeff. He's going to lead you for ten more weeks." Yeah. So I, but I, again, if you get to that position, I'll say this uh, for the sake of the exercise and the argument, that's a great situation to be in. Don't fight it. 
don't complain about it. Don't resist it. Yes, you want your guys going out there and being sought after. That means you have made your mark. That means when you leave Justin Fields, the work is done. Look, Dan, I mean, you look at Justin Fields and after after you've done this, what is there to coach? What is there to coach? This guy <laughs> is uniquely gifted. You're going to call the plays. You're going to have, you know, a rhythm. You're going to have a game plan. I want to, I don't want to take anything away from Luke Getze, the play caller, schemer, coach extraordinaire. You know what I, I, I dubbed him the great Getze after his first press conference. for <laughs> But if he goes, I'm not worried about Justin Fields taking a step backward because if he goes, that means one thing. Justin Fields has arrived. They're not going to hire away Luke Getze before that happens. And if that happens, frankly, I don't care who the offensive coordinator is. It can be somebody who he used to work with at Ohio State. It really <laughs> is irrelevant because that guy will be so special that the coach will be almost incidental. Yeah, I, I, I do think you need to um, at least value the connection piece of this, right? And that—that's one of the things that's gotten this thing going. And 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 when your quarterback and your play caller uh, either don't have the connection or they need to establish it because it's brand new, it takes some time. And there's some growing pains involved with that. Look, we're jumping way ahead of ourselves. Fair you got me riled up by mentoring Saturday. You got me all riled up. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad that I was able to push a button there and and bring that out of you. I will say this: like when we when we reflect on what happened Sunday, I think it's undeniable that Justin showed a level of command that we all agree on. That there was some production there that we agree on that it was a a big time day right with some magical runs uh, a bucket full of spectacular moments and then the big thing here is how big of a conclusion do you want to draw from it right and i think we've gotten our answer from the city of chicago where a lot of bears fans heads are and i'm just curious for you as we kind of put put that game to bed and start looking at the lions how big of a, a conclusion are you willing to draw on what sunday actually meant to justin and the bears future it's a good question I I have to be honest. Uh, I I think that I think that their minds are made up. If I were Ryan Poles, and I saw what I saw on Sunday, and it came after the previous two games, I would think that given where I am and building a roster, given the given the opportunity to take advantage of a rookie contract, given the special that I witnessed, I'd be all in. I'd be all in. And, and maybe that makes me a football sucker. And maybe that makes me wildly inconsistent in saying that I want to wait till the end of the year. I do want to wait till the end of the year because that's procedural, that's protocol, and, and you have to stay consistent as a decision maker. But, but Dan, as I des- described it sort of this morning, when you're in the middle of a movie that is, you know is going to win an Academy Award, you just enjoy the rest in the middle of it. When you're at a, at a restaurant you know is going to be a tremendous five-star meal, you just savor every bite. And right now, I think that you get a sense as a Bears fan, as a Bears observer that has been around this team for 20 years, not as long as some people have suffered through bad quarterbacking, but you just see special. And you know it when you see it. And I think we all saw it on Sunday. So that would compel me to say, all right, let's try to find a way to make this work. I, I, I think that he has limitations. Let's try to work on those. It, you know, maybe he can um, improve in certain areas. But 
I don't want to start over because of where we are with this guy. Yeah, I don't have any any major reservations about what you just said. I just I'll just say that for me, uh, you just have lived this before, right? And, and and while it may seem like an Academy Award winning movie right now, if you get to the end, you go, "That was a, oh god!" <laughs> right? I like I, I would encourage people to go listen to podcasts and read articles and 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 see all the things that were being said when Mitch Trubisky not only threw the six touchdown passes against the Buccaneers, but followed it up with like a really good month. A month and a half, right, where they were scoring. I remember uh, we're coming up on my daughter's birthday, which is later this week, and, and I was in a hospital uh, watching Mitch light up the Detroit Lions, right? This is like five weeks after the game against the Buccaneers, and you're like, man, he's on a real heater here. This kid in, in his, uh, you know, second year here is 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 really showing all the signs of, of being the answer listen i from day one i've said that justin's got a higher ceiling and justin's got a higher floor than mitch ever had so i'm not making that comparison in any sort of way i'm just saying it's it's easy right. to it's easy to draw grand conclusions in the moment and then look back and go god what were we doing there and, and if i did that you need to check me because i know you can and you know i i, I want that because i do not want to be I do not want to be inconsistent and I'm not getting carried away. I don't want to exaggerate the good. Yeah. And I certainly don't want to be extreme with the bad. I think that Justin Fields though, um, showed showed me something on on Sunday that's hard to find in the NFL and it well, and, and and the self belief too I think is yeah. I mean that, that that's one thing that really from rookie minicamp till now it, it hasn't been shaken ever even through some moments that need to be you know that would that would rattle a lot of really strong willed people and, and and that's really impressive well, uh, to me and, and Justin's toughness right like there's there's this, there's constant worry that yeah. oh you can't sustain this because Tough. if he runs he's going to get hurt and then your answer to that is well Justin doesn't really get hurt and when he gets hurt he, he takes a couple deep breaths and he gets back up and he gets back in the huddle and that's a that's a a trait right like that's a positive strength trait that that quarterback has and you can't just say oh he's like every other quarterback because he's not because I've seen him take hits and get back and and, and play the next play that other quarterbacks would have missed four weeks for that's fair that's reasonable and if I get unfair or unreasonable or carried away or start saying take that or call him phenomenal <laughs> just slap me please yeah uh, okay uh, agreement you've got you've got a slap list here I'll, I'll 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 keep notes and keep a log of things you need to be slapped for phenomenal all right anything else before we move on and get out of here because we've been talked a long time now yeah sorry to talk so long i do think it's very interesting that the minnesota vikings now have a four and a half game lead in the nfc north and that the packers are on a five game skid and and this division looks nothing like we're used to seeing aaron Rodgers, david throwing <laughs> three interceptions in a game was unheard of for most of our lifetime aaron Rodgers throwing three interceptions in a game inside the red zone against the Detroit Lions? I mean, like, just absolutely unfathomable stuff happened up in Green Bay. And the fact that the Vikings continue finding ways to win to create that distance. I saw a tweet from a Vikings writer saying that if all breaks properly, the Vikings could clinch the North on Thanksgiving night. Oh right? Like, <laughs> I mean, think about that for a second. That is crazy. I mean, Kirk Cousins has been um... – pretty good and that team has been very good under uh, o'connell and they just everything and you, picked you picked it you picked it i can't say that i'm surprised you yeah, know of I, course I, not. Yeah, I didn't want to mention that but thank you for mentioning <laughs> that all right anything else before uh, before we wrap things up that's it all right great well we will be back on friday to talk about the week of practice because um there's a lot going on byron pringle may come off the list who knows what that will mean for a very crowded receiving room now and some other developments along the way. For Dan Weeder and Adam Studzinski, I am David Hoff. Thank you for listening to the Take the North podcast on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. Download 
listen and subscribe. We will talk to you on Friday. This is your operating system talking, not your computers or your phones, but your internal human operating system. I'm feeling a little overloaded. Here's how you can ease my stress. Close your eyes or softly gaze at something in front of you. Now inhale for four counts, exhale for six. Keep repeating. <sighs> Much better. Longer term, there's BetterHelp Online Therapy. They'll match us with a licensed therapist we can connect with via video, phone, or chat. Visit betterhelp.com positive and save 10% on our first month. 